Good afternoon, seven investors. Good morning, depending on where you are in the world. Good evening, if you're watching us in England, or uh, I have no idea what time it is in Australia. That changes, it seems. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein. This is Seven Investing Now. I am the host of the program. I am being joined today by Steve Symington and Max Chasco. Guys, if you've noticed, I'm even tanner than usual, uh, perhaps redder than usual. I spent the weekend on the first Royal Caribbean ship to leave U.S. waters in 16 months. I'm not going to talk a lot about the trip. If you have questions about it, feel free to ask. But I will say it felt joyous. Like, did I cry multiple times? Yes, absolutely I did. Was I alone in that? Uh, will I cry tonight being at a live semi-sporting event? I'm taking my son to a pro wrestling show tonight. Will I cry at that being around an audience? Yeah, probably. It's been a tough 15 months, but uh, it was a wonderful experience. And and, and I know uh, probably none of them are watching because they are, they are working now, but my salute to the crew, to people who put up with multiple months of being alone on a ship and quarantines and just all of the stuff they had to go through so I could go have three days of fun and hang out on a private island. Uh, Max, what did you do for the 4th of July? Uh, I did absolutely nothing. I just, uh, you know, shot off a bunch of rockets, terrified all the cats and dogs in the neighborhood. Uh, No, no, I just went to a family cookout. Yeah, we have uh, here in West Palm Beach, it's not quite as bad as in Orlando, but it basically sounds like you live in a war zone. In Orlando, (laughs) from dark until like one in the morning, you get like professional quality fireworks between all, and maybe not so much this year, but between all the theme, the theme parks, you can't necessarily get a great view of all of them, but basically my sky was lit up and there was no point of trying to go to bed uh, two years ago when I was there. Steve, uh, you were, uh, you were actually blowing things up, right? <laughs> so, yes, it was, it was well contained. We, my brother had a, a little black powder cannon that we were playing with and, and uh, we were just shooting out bread, so that wasn't a big deal. But uh, plenty of fireworks, and uh, I was surprised pleasantly that uh, our, our surrounding neighbors, I was visiting my folks in Kalispell and, and uh, Montana, and our surrounding neighbors kind of went bonkers too with the fireworks. So we were up several hours after we were done just watching everything around us. So Got to keep the bears away somehow, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do, do, do not try this at home, folks. There are better ways to make toast than exploding it into space. <laughs> uh, and and I, I will say, I got to see fireworks uh, shot off from the private island, and that was kind of cool, but it was nothing special. But the coolest thing was all of the ships that are at sea now, most of which are crew only, were all out there and lit up. And it was really just the only time I've ever seen, you know, that many, you know, gigantic city-sized ships that close together. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Uh, First (laughs) of all, we would like your questions. We would like your comments. I will remind you right now at the top of the show, today is July 7th. Today is the last day, if you are not a 7investing member, to lock in our current prices for life. As of July 8th, being a subscriber to 7investing will, tr- will cost you $49 a month or $399 a year. If you go to 7investing.com slash subscribe, you can lock in our original pricing. We're going to remind you this a couple of times. We appreciate how many of you have joined, how many new people we have uh, watching this program, uh, probably listening to this program after the fact because it's still the summer. Uh, and while it is somewhat rainy here in Florida, we have been hit by a uh, be by a uh, tropical storm. I was about to say Hurricane Elsa, but Tropical Storm Elsa. Can't imagine Disney is too thrilled with that choice of name. Uh, I'm waiting to see if when they get past F and get to G, if we'll get Tropical Storm or Hurricane Goofy. I think that is uh, that is absolutely in the cards. We would love your questions and comments. If you want to talk about our lead topic, which is, is it safe to invest in China? We'd love your comments. We'd love your questions. If you want to talk about anything else, we're happy to have that too. We're going to talk a little later in the show uh, about some small and mid-sized businesses that had a security breach. And then Max is going to talk about the business impact of what's happening with the COVID, the COVID variant. Uh, so we're going to talk at first, Steve, about, and Steve is going to be mostly Steve. I think there's more Steve's area than Max's, but you are welcome to weigh in, Max. Uh, shares in ride-hailing giant Didi Zhuxing uh, plunged as much as 25%. Think of this as the Uber of China. Uh, though those are lazy comparisons, but this is sort of what it is. Um, it's about a week after it went public. The fall came after China, the country, announced late Friday that new users would not be able to download the app while it conducts a cybersecurity review of the company. Uh, Didi was advised by Chinese regulars, regulators to postpone its U.S. listing and review its network security several weeks before it went public. Steve, let's start with a big question here. Does that mean the company knew this was coming and did not disclose it? 
Um, sort of, kind of, you know, there, there was apparently a vague disclosure in the prospectus, the IPO prospectus. So, uh, there was that, but I would be kind of amazed given the trend of ambulance chasers that, you know, file lawsuits simply because a stock declines for no reason. Uh, if we didn't see some, some pretty significant class action lawsuit action, uh, already, uh, with this company, but, uh, um, it will be able to argue, I think, that it, it's sort of new, but maybe it didn't release to the full extent the threat uh, that it may be temporarily shut down by Chinese authorities. Steve, this isn't a one-off. We we, we saw this with uh, with TikTok yeah. uh, on the U.S. end as well, uh, yeah. but we all, we've seen this with uh, with all sorts of other companies. Does this make risking in any Chinese uh, investing in any Chinese company? Kind of risky. I mean, I, it's too risky yeah. for me. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna invest in a company that if it runs afoul of its government has no legal recourse if the government right. decides to to shut it down. Do, do you have any exposure? No, um, I, I I've got a small position in in JD.com. Uh, they're you know, another e-commerce sort of an Amazon esque company over there. Uh, if I do invest in Chinese companies, uh, it's going to be in the larger uh, companies that are kind of taking leadership position. But even then, you know, we've seen some some issues with Jack Ma. You know, it's like where'd he go? Is he dead? <laughs> you know, and and uh, you know, so it's. It seems nobody's safe. I, I wouldn't say this makes them any more risky than they already were. Uh, and these are, um, unfortunately, the the realities of investing in in companies where geopolitical tensions uh, are an issue. And and that's something that you really need to keep in mind when when you're exploring um, to us international uh, opportunities. But uh, you know, to other people, you know, the, for for Chinese investors, obviously, that's that's a risk as well because anybody who's invested in this company. Um, you know, they, they took a 25% haircut on, on news. They, they realistically couldn't have expected. So, um, that, that it's, it's a tough go. And these are things you need to keep in mind. I think it was actually pretty clear in the perspective, the perspectives that this was possible. Mm -hmm. I also think that any responsible investor would fully understand that there's risk here. Now, yeah. if you own Starbucks, you have exposure to potential Chinese regulation yeah. that said, Foreign companies doing business in China. We saw this with Disney. The, the Chinese government didn't like how the new Mulan uh, portrayed the Chinese, and it didn't make any money there. And and that's relatively minor when you're Disney. It would not be minor with Starbucks. Now, obviously, your Starbucks and your Teslas have a lot of protection because there's a Chinese middle class that's that's very into those brands. Yeah. And China needs that investment. So they're not eager to say, okay, we're going to nationalize all the Starbucks and haha, ha, you're out of luck because that's the end of international investment in China. So I don't expect that to happen. Um, but there is a lot of risk with these. And I think you have to understand fundamentally, and, I, and I'll point out, I did a regular show on China uh, at, our, at my former employer with an expert uh, in that market. So I am by no means an expert, but I've ex been exposed to someone who for a lot of weeks about how people think there. And the government is everything. So in the U.S., if uh, the Biden administration decides to say, okay, Twitter, uh, we're going to impose some regulations. You are no longer allowed to take political ads. Uh, tweets can only be 172 characters. Uh, and you must use the pirate ghost emoji in every third tweet. Like, those sound ridiculous. So Twitter has legal recourse to go fight that. Uh, in China, there's no such thing as legal recourse. And, and, and that's hard for Americans to understand, but you have an authoritarian government, and that comes with a level of risk. I would love your questions and comments on this. Max, do you have anything you want to weigh in before we, uh, before we move on to the, the, the kind of final question here? No, I mean, I've been wary of China for a while. I think we're starting to see that in um, you know, both investing directly in China, so things within China like Didi, uh, and then also anything that's spanning you know, U.S.-China relations. I don't see this being a very good decade for that. Um, and, you know, even before the election, I was trying to remind people, it doesn't matter who wins the election. Uh, this stuff's going south this decade. I think it's going to heat up a little bit with the Olympics in Beijing in 2022. That could get really nasty in terms of, uh, you know, our country's going to boycott. Um, are there going to be protests, this, that, and the other thing? What about advertisers? I mean, it, things could get pretty ugly there. And I kind of disagree. I, I mean, I agree with you with, you know, uh, China has to be careful. They don't want to, you know, like not, they don't want to mess up foreign investment in the country. 
Um, but I do think they're going to take a tougher stance on American companies and international companies. And they can increasingly do that because they have homegrown, you know, coffee companies and, and electric vehicle makers. Um, we've seen Tesla actually come in uh, increased uh, scrutiny just recently there. Um, so for companies, even like a Tesla that's very dependent or has a large chunk of its growth coming from China, uh, that would make me pretty nervous. Um, so I, I think there is a pretty big risk there for even, you know, the blue chip companies, um, you know, American companies that are operating there. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. Yeah. And it's important to remember that there is no separation between company and government. So it's one thing, if you're a Starbucks user in China, you might be perfectly willing for the government to know your coffee habits or, or how you take your tea or, or whatever it is. You might not want the government to fully know how you're using your vehicle. Of course, you can't avoid that. You're buying a car from somebody if you, if you have a vehicle. So there is probably more protection for, say, a Starbucks than there is for the typical company. Uh, but Steve, we saw... Uh, some transparency issues. And I hate to bring up Luck and Coffee because a lot of people yeah. uh, got burned by that. And Luck and Coffee was a financial scandal. Um, and I would argue that we've seen financial scandals with US companies. We saw one with, with a German company, uh, which I'm forgetting the name of very recently. And I actually never thought Luck and Coffee was a good investment. In my opinion, Luck and Coffee trained you to drink <laughs> coffee so you would then go to Starbucks. It, it, it was like training wheels that created a customer for someone else. But in general, even in these sort of bigger, more established companies, Steve, should we worry about a lack of transparency? Um, no, I, I think um, I, I will say that with, with the larger companies that have been around for a while, uh, that's much less of an issue. I think transparency is not an issue. I think some of them are even frustrated with sort of how hamstrung they are uh, by their own government. You know, we saw that with Ant Group, the Ant Group IPO, right? And, um, and you know, that was coming from uh, Jack Ma and Alibaba and those guys. But uh, I think, you know, I, I would argue that Luck and Coffee had some red flags anyway, and I agree at it. And I never thought it was a great business uh and, you know, it's, it's <laughs> margins were suspect, we'll say. Um, but it, I don't think with, with established companies, we need to worry so much about uh, the transparency. But if, you know, there's another new kid on the block who's growing like gangbusters and, um, you know, I would maybe kind of tilt my head at that. And, and something like this, this DD issue is, uh, is causing me to raise my eyebrows uh, a little harder at, uh, at, at any, you know, potential success stories coming out of China. And, and the other thing I'll, I'll mention is that there is a, there's, there are a lot of other great places to put money to work. This isn't going to prevent me from looking at Chinese companies, but it will cause me to put more scrutiny on them. And I have a lot of options outside of China to invest right now. There is no shortage. And, uh, you know, I, I'm perfectly content, um, you know, investing in something that doesn't have that same risk. Yeah, I will say I am crossing off my list anything in China that is financial transaction based. I think there's simply there's simply too much. You don't want to be in a, a Chinese banking stock. You don't want to be in a Chinese uh, loan stock, whatever it is. And I agree. I just think there's safer, better places. There's lots of opportunity for growth. Uh, we know a lot of you are watching. In fact, more of you are watching than are normally watching. And we don't see any questions or comments. This is an interactive program. So for new viewers here, what we do at 7investing now is we look at what's happening now and we give you the long-term investing perspective. So look, I'm not Jim Cramer. I'm not gonna, gonna scream and tell you something's down 12%, so buy it now. We don't actually think that's all, all that important. <laughs> buy good companies and hold on to them for a very long time. We don't usually do a lot of commercials do it during the show, but Max, you made a graphic to illustrate how much you get as a seven investing subscriber and why that's such a good value and why you'd be crazy if you're watching this show right now and can lock in the original pricing forever as long as you stay an active member forever. And we're not jerks. If your credit card gets declined, we'll, we'll call you and give or send you an email and give you a chance to, to stay an active member. Uh, we're not looking to get you. We want to reward the people who've signed up. So Sam Bailey, if you want to share that graphic and Max, you can talk us through here. Oh man, I hate that I get credit for making graphics. We all, we all do a lot of things behind the scenes. We're a small company. Um, so yeah, we, uh, Max does mostly graphics. No, just, just, just kidding. <laughs> we've, we've made a lot of progress since we've launched. Uh, we added me importantly, I think that's not on here, but that's, you know, the most important thing. And, um, but look, we cover a lot <laughs> of different areas of the market. Now, um, we have a lot of specific domain confidence. We didn't have at launch. 
Uh, you still get Matt's dad jokes, unfortunately, but we've had a lot of things, deep dive videos. Uh, if you remember, you know what those are. Um, we now have once a month member only calls. Uh, we give you our most intriguing ideas on the scorecard, meaning, um, you know, any past recommendations we've made, maybe the price has gone up, maybe the price has gone down, maybe they're just de-risked for some reason. Um, and we'll let you know about that. Um, so as you can see there, um, today is the last day to lock in the launch prices. Um, if you're an active member, so you sign up today or any time before that, you'll be locked in for life as long as you remain uh, an active member. Everyone else, uh, if you're new and you sign up after tomorrow, you have to pay uh, a little bit more. And I see some comments on our Twitter that are not coming through to the live feed. So that might explain some of it. We use a, we use a program called Restream, and it is a really good program. It is not 100% reliable. But uh, feel free as we move on to throw in your questions and comments. And if you would like to become a subscriber, that is 7investing.com slash subscribe. We make it very easy. If you want to watch this live stream, it's 7investing.com slash live stream. We do not make things confusing. We are a customer-friendly company. We try to make it that way. Steve spends a lot of time answering email. I spend an enormous amount of time interacting with people on Twitter. I very much appreciate that. Uh, we will take uh, Rahul's comment uh, before we segue into the next segment here. Uh, agree on crossing it off. Lots of risk. Anytime a company's app can be taken off the app store and more. There's risk of that in the US as well. It's also important to note that Apple has a lot of power and the US government does have a lot of power. We saw a forced TikTok sale because the US president, who probably, I'm just going to guess, wasn't doing a lot on TikTok. Uh, I, I can't picture uh, our former president doing like a dance on TikTok. Um, but because it was a Chinese company, that was very quickly put into a tough position. Steve, you want to comment on this one? Um, no, yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't say I would cross it off permanently. Um, but it, it, it is going to weigh on my decisions to, to invest in a Chinese, Chinese company if there's a risk and I can find an alternative that is just as attractive without those risks. So, um, yeah, and, and uh, I would argue that uh, while the, that risk does exist in the U.S., um, it would be greater uh, over there. This is this is sort of one of those things that obviously caught people off guard. It's like, wait a second, that can, that can happen? And it's almost <laughs> like you read through the risk section of an IPO prospectus and you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just saying that because they have to. And it's like, no, well, it seems far fetched, but then it turns out not to be. So um, yeah, that's what I would add. David Strauss, great question. We will take it uh, in between what we're watching segments. Uh, we're gonna move to what we're watching. So if you're new to this program, uh, on most shows, not every show, we, we change the format up, but on most shows, we let each of the guests appearing on the show bring a topic. Sometimes I bring a topic if there's something in my space. Uh, but in this case, Steve, uh, you call these massive ransomware attacks underscores right. the importance of cybersecurity. Can you explain what ransomware is before you get into uh, yeah. what actually happened here? Yeah. So let's let's take this um, this latest situation uh, for example. Uh, they're up to fifteen. I think it was between eight and eight hundred and fifteen hundred small and medium sized businesses in a dozen countries that were struck by a ransomware attack from Russia linked hackers. Now this is similar to the Solar Winds thing that shut down the oil pipeline. Uh, what's happening in this case is they they hijacked uh, a software tool from a uh, uh, an IT outsourcing company called Kaseya. And uh, that software tool, once sort of hijacked and on the systems of these various you know small and medium-sized businesses, it encrypts every single stinking file on your computer, all of them, and uh, then displays a message and says, hey, we've got your files. If you want them back, pay us. You know, they, they're basically asking all of these businesses collectively to pay them like as much as $70 million. And they're talking about, yeah, we'll bring it down to $50 million if that's all right with you guys, you know, to... But ransomware is literally just that. They take your files, they encrypt them, and uh, they say, if you want them back, pay this much for the tool. And uh, and and it's funny because the SolarWinds hack, they gave them the tool and it still didn't work. <laughs> and they ended up having to use backup systems to bring up everything back in line. And then, uh, you know, there was some recourse because they wanted payment in Bitcoin and the government ended up uh, collecting uh, a lot of that money back. They traced it back to uh, bad password storage um, <laughs> habits uh, by the hackers, which was sort of ironic in itself. But uh, yeah, that, that's yeah, making right. your password hacker one is not the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Go Steve, ahead. The, the White House is involved here. So uh -huh. obviously on one end, our government should be working to protect us. But let's right. talk about this from an investing point of view. There are some companies that you should be a customer of if you're a smaller mid-sized business. Uh, we should probably be a customer or maybe we are. I don't know. You would know more than I do. 
of some of these companies? Where can you put your money if you want to invest in stopping this type of, of attack? Right. There's um, and this this really underscores the importance of uh, cybersecurity companies in today's world uh, as it's increasingly digitized. But but uh, from our perspective, obviously, it underscores the importance of identifying and potentially investing in cybersecurity companies. And and, uh, you know, you think in things like CrowdStrike's Falcon platform, which you know specifically has um mechanisms in place to prevent ransomware attacks or, uh, you know, Cloudflare, Okta, Ping Identity, uh, all these companies that sort of prevent um, cybersecurity attacks from happening are proving increasingly uh, important. And uh, if you actually look at these companies uh, as a group, uh, their stocks have climbed, even as some of the other high growth stocks have pulled back in recent days. And and uh, people are realizing, mm, maybe we should be putting money to work here. And uh, so, yeah, there's... Um, those are some of the, the great companies I think people should be considering. And, uh, and yeah, that's... Steve, is, is this the case of while those companies might not be impregnable, if you're a hacker, you're just going to go after the low-hanging fruit? Like, it's kind of like putting, you know, getting ADT and their security might not be great, but just the fact right. that you have it, they're, they're going to rob the guy next to you that doesn't. Uh, and the guy next to me yeah. doesn't, so rob him. Yeah, his, and his, uh, stuff, his stuff looks nicer than mine. No, I'm criminals. A lot of criminals in general are, are lazy. Uh, however, industrious they are, you know, with being creative, I guess, uh, in their criminality. But um, cybersecurity is, is no different, and I would argue maybe even more extreme. Like I was a computer scientist by trade, a software engineer. Uh, we like to take the, um, I, I say we as computer scientists in general, not criminals in computer science, uh, like to take the easy path, right? And, uh, and, and if you can subvert a software tool and allow the IT company to put, your, put you onto someone's system, um, then all the better, obviously. You know, you'd hate to hack into systems individually. And that's part of the way that they've actually been able to, uh, it, it's kind of a genius, actually. It's a one-to-many kind of style attack. And uh, super frustrating, obviously, but they're able to infect up to 1,500 people, 1,500 businesses, small and medium-sized businesses in a dozen countries. And uh, it was sort of a, a lazy way to get into these systems, but also something that could have been prevented if these small and medium-sized businesses were also customers of someone like CrowdStrike implementing endpoint protection, uh, being able to pick up things like this as part of that tool. So, um, yeah, kind of a, kind of a tough go. Um, but yeah, it's it's something you should be a customer of. So if you own a business, be skeptical. If you are an individual, make sure you have good password security. I know it can be tricky. Uh, use a third-party platform. Um, you know, make sure you're on. You know, you're using products that have good encryption. Look, uh, we had our Netflix hacks hacked once. We have no idea how. It had a pretty complicated uh, password, um, and Netflix was really great about it. Other places, Twitter can be very, very difficult yeah. uh, if your account gets hacked. And, uh, so go ahead, Steve. What was interesting about uh, and when I mentioned uh, lazy password security uh, on the part of the hackers for the SolarWinds thing, it was actually the FBI traced it back to a Bitcoin wallet, the passwords for which were stored on a server that was relatively unsecure. So they're able to step in and be like, and yoink, this is, this is ours now. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty impressive on the FBI's part to basically follow the money uh, and, and encouraging uh, to that end. Actually, that caused a, a crash in Bitcoin prices because people were concerned about, oh, my God, the government can take my Bitcoin. Um, well, that's a good thing if you're a criminal and trying to pursue criminal activities. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily a, a problem with the, the inherent insecurity of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's blockchain, it was a problem with the way that they stored their passwords for the Bitcoin wallet. And, and again, um, yeah, password. So if you have a server and you're performing criminal activity and you're storing your Bitcoin wallet passwords on a server, maybe do a better job of securing against the FBI. Protein. And that was our segment, Advice for Criminals. Uh, we, are, we are now going to be moving on to some of your questions and comments before we talk a little COVID-19 vaccine. We're going to take two similar comments. Steve, I'm going to ask you to read these because uh, your vision is better than mine. Uh, sure. I can see amazingly at a distance. It was really nice to be on a beach without glasses for the first time in my entire life. No glasses, no contacts. Uh, but I can't read all that well on, on a screen even at this distance. So we're going to take the David Strauss comment, uh, and then we'll speak about that a little, and then we'll follow up with Andrew Connolly's comment. Yeah, yeah uh, David says, any thoughts on politicians or the spouses of politicians buying stock in individual companies? Looks to be legal, but is it ethical? Uh, 
yes, maybe, and no, respectively to that question. Uh, I said, don't they know more about the contracts? Yes and no. I, I think they're walking a very fine line of legality. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it, it's tough because the people we, we would expect to hold um, people accountable for this sort of thing are also some of the people who are doing these sketchy things. So I would say uh, probably legal, but not ethical if they're walking that line. It is, make no mistake, illegal to place insider trades based on information that is not publicly known. And uh, that's but, but, that's something that's definitely illegal. And the SEC is probably like, whoop, rubber necking over there. So I'd be surprised if we didn't see some enforcement action. But there can be a lot of gray area on that. We'll get to Andrew yeah. Connolly's comment in a second. So I'm going to say, and Max, I'll let you weigh in here too. Vehemently, if you are an elected fish official, your holding should have to be in a blind trust that you don't control. You give up the ability, in my opinion, to make investments. Because even if you know something subtle, uh, and I often know subtle things about the sports world uh, because of my brother, who is a big-time sports executive. And to avoid any conflict of interest, I would never invest in any company that would benefit from that. So if I knew, say, and I'm making this up, if I knew that the NFL was going to be open to taking Monday Night Football and, and, and putting it on Amazon, that's not true. I just made that up. Just no headlines here, aggregators. Uh, I, I, if I knew that, well, it might make me buy Amazon, even though that's not necessarily insider information or it's speculative or it's the government has access to that all the time. Uh, you know, you could be on a panel that oversees the FCC and know that a, a change in internet or cable regulation is coming. It is terrible. Even subtle trade regulations and tariffs uh, can have actionable things. So you should not be able to buy individual stocks. Uh, Max, I'll let you weigh in and then we'll take Andrew's comment on this. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Um, this should have to be a blind trust. You shouldn't have access to that. You shouldn't be able to like buy or sell, you know, uh, positions in individual companies. I mean, you're making laws for the country. Um, you're interacting with lobbyists. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of corporate money in politics in the United States. Um, it just, it, it very much is unethical, in my opinion. Yeah, my preference is you should you should be able to own like uh, ETFs that track entire indexes. So like you could own a NASDAQ in ETF. Uh, you could have you know someone else manage your portfolio in a blind way that you are not informed of anything except returns. Uh, various presidents have done that in the past, and I'm sure many members of Congress do things like that. Uh, it, it's an unethical swamp in a lot of cases, but there are also lots of people who are playing by the rules. I just wanted to add a Andrew's comment in, if you want to read that one, Steve, the first one, not the second yeah, one. Yeah, I said, didn't a bunch of senators and representatives sell ahead of the Rona, really taking hold also? I guess it was public knowledge, but they definitely had a better understanding. Yeah, we did kind of touch on that uh, through, but selling ahead of the Rona, bonus points for that. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they had like they had like security briefings on it beforehand, and they were told it was going to be more serious, and then they sold. There actually was an investigation, and then yeah, and they yeah. sold like their Delta Airlines stock, like you know yeah, that it, was pretty suspect, uh, yeah, you know, suspicious. Yeah. But um, and I, there was an investigation. <laughs> That's the thing. That's what makes people upset, right? I mean, it, yeah. it, when certain grops of people get to play by different rules, um, and that's all I'll say about that before we get into that subject, but. Um, that does make people very upset, and they're they're right to be. I mean, there's no accountability that that makes a lot of people upset. Yeah. If you if you join Seven Investing, you get to play by different rules. Now, that's not insider. <laughs> we don't have any insider info. What we do have is incredibly well researched, long term buy and hold stock picks. So. I don't know anything about biotech. It's not an area I, 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 I guess I know a lot more than I did, you know, eight months ago. Um, but that's Max's area. That's Dana's area of expertise. And I buy Max's pick every month as a way of diversifying my portfolio. Most people, I would argue, don't know anything about retail or, or think they know things and they're wrong. I'm enmeshed in that space. I spent four years buying commodities. I spent two years running a giant store. I grew up in a family business and understand every aspect of importing and all the other things. That's not the type of depth you get in most investing services. So when you are a member and you get our seven picks every month, you're getting each of our individual highest conviction pick. And the amount of conversation that goes on behind the scenes between all of us, uh, you know, I, I had a very long discussion yesterday with Matt Cochran about a pick we both might make. Obviously, we, we'll make separate picks, but a pick that's on the radar for both of us. So I'll, I'll throw it out one more time. If you want to lock in our pricing, you have until midnight. That is seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. That'll be the last time I say it this show. Uh, that'll be the last time you hear this particular pitch. 
But for those of you who have joined, we thank you. It has been a wild run from zero to 60, 55. I, we're going to 100, but we are going very quickly and appreciate you making that happen. Max, we're going to pivot a little. We're going to hear what we're watching. Uh, and it's what do COVID variants mean for business? And I'll, let me give a little bit of, a co of color here. So we, I talked at the top of the show how I went on a cruise, and, I, and I've talked a lot on this show about how much I like to travel. And if you get in a plane, you still have to wear a mask. And on the cruise ship, uh, Florida does not allow you to ask, are you vaccinated? So literally when I checked in, they asked, do you have any documents you'd like to show us? Uh, and some people did not know they were being asked to show their vaccination and got shunted into the line where if you choose to not prove vaccination, you have to get tested at your own expense. So then they'd have to come back in line when they realize what they missed. And while I was on board in certain areas, I had to wear a mask. Uh, and that's going to go away in August, it looks like. So we're seeing a lot of precaution. And that makes sense. You're in a closed environment. There were lots of venues on board that were vaccinated only that I could take my mask off. Outside, you didn't have to wear a mask unless you were, in a, you were unvaccinated in a crowd. But Max, we're hearing a lot about the Delta variant and, and, and a lot of irresponsible headlines. So why don't you get to the science of, of what we're looking at right now? Yeah, so it's actually funny because uh, you brought this up yesterday uh, internally, right? There's a headline. Maybe Matt did. I don't know. We don't want to give Matt credit. We'll say Dan. Um, <laughs> so there's a headline. I think uh, maybe the Wall Street Journal said, hey, you know, the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is less effective against the Delta variant. But then if you went to some other news sites, maybe the New York Times, they said they had a headline that said, hey, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine remains effective against the Delta variant. And they're both citing the same exact study and data. So a lot of times it just comes down to the authors writing that and how they interpret the percentages in the studies, right? Um, so there was a study in Israel where, um, you know, they most people in Israel had the BioNTech uh, vaccine, right? The Pfizer vaccine. Um, and then they had a, an outbreak, quote, outbreak um, in Israel, right? Relative to their population size. Uh, and most of the cases were of the Delta variant. Um, so depending on how you look at it, they said, well, people who were vaccinated still got sick. But uh, we saw the same rates of people avoiding hospitalization or death. So depending on how you read that, is it, is it effective? Is it not effective? I'll take having you know, a cold for a few days uh, and the sniffles over going to the hospital and getting put on a ventilator uh, 10 times out of 10. So I would say all these vaccines are going to be very effective. And we're going to see a lot of headlines like this for all of the vaccines, for all of the variants for years, probably, right? Is it effective? Is it not? The reality is all of these are going to give your body a very high baseline of protection and your body will be able to do the rest. Uh, so if you do get sick, which is still possible with any of the vaccines, um, you know, you're going to be sick and not like deathly ill or, or require uh, a hospitalization. So that's the, really the important thing here. And let me give you some perspective as a as a journalist since I was 19, as someone who wrote the headlines uh, at, at daily newspapers. The goal of a headline is to get you to read the story and thereby expose you to advertising or drag you into if it was a physical newspaper. So you, you go to the second part of the story and you see the ads inside. So headlines are often semi-intentionally misleading. And what happens here, and I'll, I'll give an example. So there were two positives on the cruise ship that, uh, that my buddy is, is currently on as a crew member. And they went into a two-week lockdown uh, because that's what the methods say. What wasn't reported is the people, the, those positives were onboarding crew that were caught in the protocol. So it wasn't like passengers were there and people got sick and they caught them because they started, you know, Rudy Gobert style coughing. And no, the protocols worked. We have procedures in place to identify in a lot of industries uh, whether you are sick. There's a lot of testing in a lot of spaces. There's a lot of... Uh, you know, contact tracing and things like that. But a newspaper is not going to run the headline or a website. Uh, protocol works, nothing to worry about, because that's not going to get clicks. So I do think, um, so Max, I've also read too that if, if I'm vaccinated, which I am, nobody has to volunteer their status, but I, I've talked about it on this show. Um, and then I get it. After that, I'm even less likely to get to get severely sick. So if I have that sniffles or bad cold or whatever it is, or even a more serious case, like, like my, like, people in my family have had where, uh, you know, where, where they, they ended up sort of, you know, in bed for a couple of weeks, even if I get it that bad, I'm then almost like super immune, right? 
Yeah, I wouldn't advocate trying to get it if you're vaccinated, <laughs> yeah, right? No, no chicken pox parties. That's a, that's a bad idea. Right. But yes, you're right. So va- all the vaccines are going to give you a very high level of base protection. And, you, you know, you still might get sick this winter or next winter or whatever it might be. Um, and if you do, then your immune system is going to be crushing it. You're going to have pretty good immunity against a lot of different variants, future variants as well, because uh, your body's going to have more memory uh, to more of the, you know, uh, possible mutations of the spike protein. Um, so again, I wouldn't advocate it, but uh, if you have the vaccine and then you get sick, you're going to be crushing it in terms of, uh, you know, protection against uh, a lot of coronaviruses and, and certainly these related strains. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, certainly I would have been in a rush to get vaccinated anyway, because uh, as we've established, I like to travel, but having Max on here and really talking about how these things work, any fears I might've had uh, have absolutely disappeared, uh, you know, and, and it's a tough thing to talk to friends. I, I have some friends that that are are hesitant for reasons that have been widely debunked, uh, but they're they're afraid to get their kids vaccinated. They're afraid to have vaccinated people around their. And I get it, like I, I've seen those headlines, but I think it's really important to seek out credible news sources to find, uh, you know, real doctors. Uh, you know, don't get your news from partisan news sources. And I know people would say that like CNN is partisan. Nope. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, you could trust the doctor on the Today Show. I don't know who that is. The doctor on Good Morning America, uh, the doctor on whatever CBS calls its morning show. Listen to those people or seek out advice from your own doctor because I'm going to tell you, it's really fun to travel and be out again and to see people. And I very much, you know, look forward to seeing all of you on my various stops. I'll, I'll be in Vegas soon. I'll be on other cruises. I am happy to see all of you. We are going to pivot into our, our home stretch. This segment, for those of you who are, are new to the show, uh, and there is still time. If you want to ask us questions uh, or, or comments, uh, we will take a couple more at the end if there are any there. We are happy to, if you want to get those in. But our question here, and I'm going to let Max answer it first, is what's your biggest red flag when it comes to investing in a company? Specifically, when it comes to drug developers, uh, pre-commercial drug developers, um, you know, some that I might be interested in or might be on my watch list. You know, uh, I observe them for you know months, quarters, years. Um, sometimes when they have data releases, they really like sugarcoat it and only tell you good stuff. Or sometimes they're very vague. I saw a press release. I won't name the company uh, within the last couple of weeks, and all they said was, "Hey, we saw good signs of safety and efficacy. We're going to keep going." And they didn't actually report any numbers. And it was just like, well, what? Like, that's, yeah, I've never seen that ever. And like the market didn't really know what to do. The stock actually went up by double digits. And it was just like, all right, I don't know. This is a, there's a, there's a way to do this when it comes to drug development and clinical trials. There's a reason that it's rigorous. There's a reason you report the numbers so everybody else can digest it, you know, and have like an independent review. Uh, And sometimes companies will just like pick and cherry pick certain parts of the study and, um, so that's always a red flag to me. I, I tend to, that's like, a, all right, w- wiping this one off the list uh, kind of a uh, event. Steve, what is your big red flag? And then I will share mine here. Oh, man. I, I, I think I'm going to guess uh, what, what yours is, but we'll see if I'm right. And, uh, but one of my biggest red flags is untrustworthy management. Now, there's a lot of ways to determine whether that's the case. Uh, but I need to be able to trust the track records and honesty of the executive leadership. And and that's something that, uh, you know, there, there are some qualitative uh, things to, to watch, you know, as well as, you know, quantitative like measurements. Um, but, you know, is there is their executive compensation so exorbitant and uh, and dilutive? You know, that that's kind of tough because there are some great businesses that management is maybe paying themselves too much, uh, but also just the way they they treat the people around them uh, and and kind of their their track record of, of delivering on, um, you know, just just being honest, good people. Right. We, one of our, our core principles at Seven Investing is that we want to invest in companies led by people that we would consider to be good company right and uh and that's that's big if you can't trust the people at the top uh it's really hard for me to trust that the rest of the business is going to prove to be a decent investment and steve i'll let you guess what did you think mine was going to be the way they treat their customers is that yeah so so (laughs) management is high on my list too Mm -hmm. i actually think it's very rare that i will invest in a company where i don't feel like I'd want to work for that CEO. There are some exceptions 
Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, recently former Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos might be an exception there. I, I have lots of friends who work there. I don't think I want to work there. Um, I, I have a very close friend who's about to go to work at, at Facebook, and I don't think I'd want to go to work at Facebook. But when you work at a company that big, it probably depends more who your individual boss is than it necessarily does the personality of the leader. Uh, though I look at sort of the, quote, work ethic Bezos has, uh, and I don't see a lot of life work balance. And that to me is I want happy employees. Yeah. Steve, Steve, jump in. Uh, you, no, to be fair, he's he's stepped away from his responsibilities at Amazon to focus on Blue Origin. So that's that's uh, that's kind of no longer a, a thing, even though he owns a big chunk. So, so so I'll push back there because the, the media has reported Jeff Bezos steps down. Jeff Bezos stepped up. He's the executive chairman of Amazon. He okay, is still that, essentially yeah. the boss of the CEO. <laughs> so I do think yeah. there will be some changes. I don't think there's going to be big cultural changes. You know my pushback. I am I very negative on the it's always day one. I understand the like never stop evolving, never stop like thinking like a startup. But I've worked at startups and you can only go pedal to the metal for so long. It's really cool when you're pushing to a launch date and you're staying up all night. And, and, and look, we, you guys did it here. I hadn't quite joined yet. Max hadn't quite joined yet. That's fun a couple of times a year to get a project off the ground. If that's your day to day, that's not fun and it's not sustainable and it's not good for your business. Obviously, it's worked for Amazon but it's worked at the cost of a lot of people. But yeah, for me, it's customer service. I'm doing an interview Thursday uh, with the American Customer Satisfaction in this uh, about their latest survey. And to me, if I deal with a company that doesn't like doing business with me, that doesn't like making it easy for me to solve things, that's a problem. Uh, you know, I've talked a lot about not liking Comcast. It's because Comcast doesn't want to help me. They, they still treat me like a monopoly. Uh, whereas, you know, it was a little over the top while I was on the cruise ship at how thankful the crew was. And, and I know it was a training. You know, I know they were trained to welcome people back and to be very over the top with it. On the other hand, I knew some of the crew members and many of them were genuinely happy to be back because they've been not working for 15 months. And, and, and this is the start. But I want a company that thinks about it. Uh, you know, T-Mobile, they're not perfect. Uh, I've had problems in their stores, but they're actively addressing the problem of customer service. So now when you call, the person who picks up the phone knows what your problem is if you've already logged in. I think it's an area that's tough to always get right. Uh, my favorite restaurant in Connecticut, my first meal there was a bad experience. There was a, a bug in, in, in one of our, our meals and we didn't go back for months after that because it wasn't handled all that well. We never had even close to a negative customer service experience after that. So I'm gonna give you a couple of shots, uh, but yeah, that's absolutely it. It has been a fun show. We thank so many of you for watching. We are nearing the end here. Uh, we're gonna hit our finisher. Uh, this is a question that Max threw out to me. Uh, in 2020, electric vehicles accounted for 2% share of new vehicle sales in the US. What will the market share be in 2030? 23.9 uh, said 10%, uh, 30.8 said 20%, 21.1 .1 said 30%. 24.2 said 40% or more. It's a pretty tightly bunched. I've got a different answer, but I'll throw to Max first on this one. Yeah, so I actually think in 2030, it's going to be uh, the share of electric vehicles, of new vehicle sales, is going to be uh, well over 50% in the United States. I think it's going to uh, accelerate pretty quickly. And we can look at other countries, like in Europe, for instance. Um, as soon as they make, you know, like some government support or tax credits for individuals who purchase vehicles, uh, infrastructure is only going to get better, you know, between now and the next 10 years. Um, I think and most automakers are already transitioning to full electric lineups, really. Uh, by 2030, I think it's going to be uh, overwhelmingly uh, the only vehicles you can purchase will be uh, electric vehicles. Steve, your thoughts here. Uh, same thought. Uh, that, that's exactly, I, I would have been the 40% or more category. And, and to clarify, you know, that's, this is a market share as a percent of electric vehicles for new vehicle sales at that time. Yeah. I think well over 50% is a pretty safe bet. Um, and maybe yeah. not the percent of the vehicles on the road. Uh, but yes, uh, as a percent of new vehicles sold, I think it's, you're right. It's going to take time to transition the fleet. So like all the cars on the road, uh, so yeah. the average car, I think that year, the age has actually gone up. The average vehicle on the road in the U S is, uh, it's like 12 years old or something, maybe a little older now. Um, so it will take time even once, it, you know, if tomorrow we had all new vehicle sales were electric, um, it might take us till the end of the decade 
to get yeah. rid of all the gasoline powered cars on the road, right? Just uh, by the nature of how you know fleet turnover works. So um, yeah, that's absolutely correct. But for for new vehicle sales, pretty soon uh, you're going to start seeing more and more and more electric vehicles everywhere you go. All the major yeah. brands. Uh, so that's that's really good news as well. So Max, yeah. let, let me throw out a follow up here. Um, so I never buy a new vehicle. I always buy used <laughs> vehicles because it's such a price savings. I also never spend more than $12,000 on a car. At what point am I going to be able to buy a reasonable electric vehicle that's semi-reliable for $12,000 or less? Because to me, I'm not getting one until, until that's where it hits because spending more than that for a car seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean, those, those costs are coming down. It's, it's kind of close to parity. I don't think there's really too much of a... It's not like you know the original Model S Tesla when it was like, uh, more of a luxury vehicle, right? Um, we're going to see more and more entry-level vehicles that are electric. Uh, maybe the range might not be that great, but we're going to see advancements in battery technology too. Um, but we have to like retool a lot of manufacturing facilities, you know, in the U.S., in Mexico, where we make them. Um, so it's going to take a little bit of time, but that's I don't think it's going to be an issue. And really, I mean, electric vehicles could actually be priced lower than a lot of internal combustion engine vehicles eventually, and pretty soon, I think, like maybe by the middle of the decade. Yeah, um, certainly by the back half of the decade. So I think that argument's going to fade away. It's it's kind of analogous to like renewable energy. Remember, like in the in like 2010, people would be like, "Oh, it's so expensive, it's never going to work." Well, right now, it's the cheapest sources of electricity in most parts of the country is solar and wind. So uh, that didn't really work out so well, did it? Yeah, and I'm also willing to factor into price. Uh, and I did a little bit of my current car that I won't be spending as much money on the fuel for the car. So there is there is some uh, incremental electric cost if you're you're fueling up at home, but in driving a hybrid that now gets, you know, ridiculously good mileage. And again, I drove a Nissan Versa. So it wasn't like I was driving like an expedition or something that got, you know, 11 <laughs> miles a gallon. I was getting 38 miles a gallon in the old car, but the difference was one, my new car is a 12 point something gallon tank and my old car had a 10 and my new car gets 55 to more miles per gallon, depending how I drive, uh, that is appreciably different in between times I, I, I get gas. I drove back and forth to Miami for the cruise, uh, and I'm going to drive back and forth to Miami tonight uh, and tonight and tomorrow, and I'm not going to get gas until I get home in West Palm Beach tomorrow because uh, we're then driving to the Orlando area on Thursday. We appreciate so many of you watching. We're going to take one last comment. Steve, you wanted to have one. Uh, you can see it better. I will let you take a stab at pronouncing yeah. the name. Here. Yeah, we'll add uh, Andrew Connolly's second comment after this. <laughs> the uh, uh, the uh, VJ, we'll call them, uh, says, any thoughts on how the Vi review can affect foreign investors who want to invest in China? Uh, just Rewind to the beginning of this stream. We touched on that. And when he when he says VI review, he's talking about vari variable interest entities, I believe is the acronym. Uh, and that's basically the way that uh, most Chinese U.S. listed Chinese companies are formed. Um, so, yes, they're they're increasingly putting more scrutiny on big tech. We talked about that at the beginning of the live stream. So just rewind this live stream. Check out our comments at the beginning. Uh, and the comment from Andrew Connolly, my favorite part is when Dan peers over his glasses to read these comments. So. Yeah, it, 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 it's a real <laughs> challenge. So it's funny. Yeah. Since I had the laser surgery, I went from so it only corrected my far vision. But they told me it would correct my close in vision somewhat because it fixes imperfections in the eye. Yeah. Before the surgery, I could not see my phone with without my glasses on. Now I can actually clumsily answer a text message, but I sit pretty far away from my computer in order to not be gigantic on the screen here. <laughs> so I'm like really a weird distance and Restream, the product we're on, does not allow us to have a second feed up. So there's no easy way for me to like put it on my second monitor. I'm pointing to my second monitor. It was actually on the floor right now, but yeah. but I have a, an arm here that that has a second monitor. Uh, we know you have viewing choices. <laughs> that 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 there there is a variable interest in what we're doing at any time, and we appreciate that so many of you have chosen to watch Seven Investing now. Please tell your friends, get the word out uh, about subscribing to Seven Investing. Tell people there is this amazing free show they could be watching to learn about long-term investing. And look, if we had thousands more people watching this show, that doesn't cost us any more, more money. It is great for us. So we would love to have this uh, you know, 
look, I want to be bigger than CNBC, and I don't see why why we shouldn't be because Max isn't yelling about what to do in the midday or like whatever whatever dumb advice you are getting on those platforms. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, that is almost always Steve. I've offered. He hasn't shared the login info with me. That is info <laughs> at seveninvesting.com. Uh, if you want barbecue recipes, if you want to know about bear repellent, um, ask Steve about the Geico commercial where people are scared of Yogi Bear, even though he's wearing a jaunty hat and a tie. That one doesn't make any sense to me. No, if you have questions about your membership, questions about joining the service, questions about our website, uh, send those to info at seveninvesting.com. If you want to interact with us, uh, tag us at at seveninvesting. Ask us questions. All of us can see that account. Uh, different ones of us run it and respond for it at, at all sorts of times. Our, our private Twitters are usually under us, so you are welcome uh, to interact there. I share a lot of fun and funny stuff that I'm, I'm looking for comments. Uh, Max and Steve uh, tend to be a little more data-driven or, or, or fact-driven than I am. I put out a lot of polls and I shared one that was great. Uh, what device uh, in, in the last 20 years has made the most impact of your life? I should have said what device that was created in the past 20 years because a lot, a lot of people said the iPhone, but a lot of people said like plumbing, air conditioning. So I didn't phrase that one well, but got like thousands and thousands of interactions. Steve, welcome to jump it, in here. Is Google a device or Facebook a device? Because <laughs> it's weird to think like that they were less than 20 years ago. Isn't that bizarre? It's also like, weird to think that there was like a four-year period where my answer would have been AOL. That the internet was, and you guys are too young to remember this, but from oh, say like 1990... Yeah to maybe, well, maybe like 1993 to 1996, like somewhere in there. I might be getting a little bit wrong. AOL was the internet. It was your email. It's how you got sports. It's, it's how you got financial information. And you very rarely jumped off of that. And that changed almost overnight. So yeah. look, my BlackBerry was the most important device to me. I used to write, you know, like, like, like book chapters on my BlackBerry uh, and now that seems absolutely foreign. Max grew up, I'm sure like Max doesn't even remember a world without streaming services, let alone letting yeah. a, let alone a world without phones. I remember like having to pull over to find a payphone because somebody changed <laughs> I, uh, I've but, used payphones before. And actually, I, uh, I used to subscribe as a kid to Sports Illustrated. And every once in a while, they would throw in like the newest AOL disc like CD and you'd have to like Amazing. plug it in your computer to upgrade your, your, I got AOL 9.1 now. Let's watch out guys. You know, um, my, my kids didn't believe me that Netflix used to actually send DVDs to your house. <laughs> like they, and, and they saw a corded phone, like in uh, Papa John's the other day, I think it was or Papa Murphy's or whatever. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, what's that thing hanging? I was like, Oh my word. You're so like, it's just so weird. They don't know a world without cell phones. So Anyway. If, uh, if you want to tune into Friday's show, we'll be giving out the phone number for Max's Sports Illustrated football phone. He's kept it operating <laughs> all of these years. No, that is, of course, a joke. We thank you for watching. I'll be back Friday with Simon Erickson and Matt Cochran. No idea what we're talking about. So if you have some ideas, feel free to hit us up at 7investing on Twitter. Thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. Welcome back from the 4th of July. We will see you on Friday. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.